Um, good morning, everybody. I hope we are all well. Um, so for those of you that don't know me, my name is Sam. I have the privilege of being the children and youth pastor um, here at Gateway Church. And we are in our series on 1 Corinthians. Okay, so this morning, um, we're actually going to be covering three chapters of 1 Corinthians. It's not going to be any longer, I promise. Um, so we are in chapters 8 to 10 this morning. And so as, kind of, as Nat was saying in the notices, we've skipped chapters 5 to 7. Um, because within those chapters, there's a lot of things that are talking about kind of sex and sexuality and some very big topics that need a lot more than 20 minutes on a Sunday morning to do them justice. Okay, so can I just encourage you, please, to get along to that. As someone who works with children and young people, I am constantly in a conversation um, about those, those things, as well as with other people as well. At Alpha this Tuesday night, we were in a conversation with that for the entirety of the, kind of the time at Alpha as well. Okay, so we need to be equipped to know how best to love people um, who maybe kind of don't view sex and sexuality in the way that we do as Christians, but also to know what the Bible teaches about it so that we ourselves can be informed and equipped. So can I just encourage you um, to get along to that as well? So this morning, we are going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 23 to chapter 11, verse 1. So if you have a Bible, do you want to switch it on? Because I know not many people bring the paper ones anymore. Um, so if you want to grab your Bible, please do turn to that. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23 to 11, Chapter, uh, chapter 11, verse 1. It will go up in the screen above me, um, but I'm going to invite my friend up, Jesse. He's going to come and he's going to read it for us. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things bring about. Let no one speak his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without making question of the ground's price. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one unbelieving invite you to dinner, you are disgraced with him. Eat what is for a certain things without raising any questions on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it. For the sake of one you, who informed you and for the sake of conscience, I do not mean your conscience but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? So wherever you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, do not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be served. Be imitators of me, as I am of Christ. Thank you very much. Brilliant. Um, so, <clears throat> I would be very, very surprised if anyone in this room was encountering the same problem that the church was in 1 Corinthians. Okay. So this passage, and I think in particular, kind of the, the, the way that we, we can take passages like this in the Bible is that we can look at this and go, no idea. Like, it makes no sense to me, the context that it's in, what it's talking about, food offered to idols, like all that sort of stuff. It's just so weird and odd to our mindset and our situation. But the great thing about the Bible is that actually the principles that God applies, that God gives to his people to apply to situations, cover lots of different situations and therefore apply to us. Am I being all echoey? Do I need to change the mic? Are we all right? 
I'm all right. Okay, good. Thank you. Right, so this is, in 1 Corinthians 8, the, the situation is that the believers in, in Corinth, they're, they're hitting a gray area. Okay, so what I mean by gray area is I mean that they're encountering this situation where the Bible doesn't expressly prohibit a certain type of behavior. It doesn't say no to a certain type of behavior. But equally, the things that they are then doing is leading to this occasion where, where people can sin. Yeah? So if I was going to define a gray, so a gray area is, is, a, is an area of life, an area or a situation that we find ourselves in, where actually the Bible doesn't say, no, don't do that. But equally, in that situation, in that occasion, in that moment, it could lead to sin or, or sinning on behalf of either God's people or others. Okay? And so I would, I would say that we probably find ourselves in these sort of gray situations all the time, right? Like we are living 2,000 years on from when this book was written. And so actually these gray areas, these areas where actually the Bible doesn't expressly talk about the situation we find ourselves in, it means that like, we find ourselves in those sort of situations all the time. And that means that it can create this kind of problem. And it created this problem in Corinth, because what had happened in Corinth, the actual situation that was going on, so this is 1 Corinthians chapter 8, is that there was people who were going into the temple and eating meat that had been offered to idols. Okay, I told you that no one in this room was having that problem, right? <laughs> so... The, the, so this, there was believers were going in and doing that. Now, there was two groups of believers that were being affected by this. The first, like you could call them the knowers because they talk about their knowledge. Okay, they were going in and they were going, I'm free in Christ. I'm free in Christ. I can go in. That meat is, that meat is given by God. God gave the animals. Meat tastes good. Ergo, I eat meat in temple. Okay. And then there was others who were going in and going, well, actually, I kind of used to be involved in the worship in here, and I actually quite liked it, and then I met Jesus, and I kind of wanted to follow him, but now you're saying that that's okay for me to eat this, and therefore am I worshipping this idol? And it was all getting really confusing for them. Or there was people who were Jewish, who had become Christian, and then their brothers and sisters, the people in the church, were going and eating meat offered to idols, and they had no category for that. And so it was creating division in the church. And our series, we've entitled our series One Body, okay, because we're talking about how actually what the message from Paul is that we are one body in Christ. The, the, the place we need to aim for is unity in Christ. And so there was these divisions coming. There was these things that were happening because of this. So Paul, at various points, quotes the Corinthians in his letter. And one of the, one of the quotes we can find in chapter 8, verse 1, and he says this, he says, we know that we all possess knowledge. So what is happening is there's this group of people in the church that are going, well, we know. We know that we're free in Jesus. We know that we can do these things. We know. We have got knowledge that means that we can do this, okay? That's why we, kind of, you know, we could call them the knowers. But what is happening is this group were prioritizing their Christian freedom over the well-being, over the faith, and life of the other believers in the church. And not only that, they were prioritizing their Christian freedom, like aside from kind of being a witness of Christ and showing Jesus to the world. They were saying, we're free in Christ to do this, even though it's tripping these Christians up and it's kind of creating divisions. We're free to do this, even though other people who aren't believers are getting all confused about what it actually looks like to follow Jesus. But we're free to do it, right? That's, that's what they were saying. And the reality is that 
the reason why they probably wanted to keep doing those things, to keep eating the meal, to keep eating the food offered to idols, was actually because in Corinth, where business was done, where social life was done, where family was done, it was done in the temple, right? So if you're not eating food in the temple, you're not building a status in the community. People won't be looking to you as someone of influence. If you're not eating in the temple, you're likely not having the same kind of business transactions as you would be if you weren't, right? If you don't eat in the temple, you probably won't get as much business. If you don't eat in the temple, people aren't going to see you as a person of influence. You ain't going into politics. Like, all of this sort of stuff is happening. And so the reality is these people who are saying, no, I'm free in Christ to do these things. The real reason is because they don't want to lose the status that they have. They don't want to lose the opportunity to have money and influence and gain power within that setting. And I think if, we, if we're going to be honest for ourselves, when we encounter gray areas, for us, the temptation to go, oh, we're free in Christ to do this, rather than thinking about others or what it would look like to unbelievers, is that we often go, actually, if I, if I don't participate in this thing, people are, people are going to see me differently. Like, I'm maybe going to lose out on some friendships. I'm maybe not going to be invited on nights out with the guys. I'm maybe not going to be given opportunities for advancement and promotion and things like this if I don't participate. And actually, the temptation can be, but it's like, actually, we're, we can be in that conversation. We're free in Christ to do that. The Bible doesn't say I can't be in this conversation or in this room or in this environment. And so the temptation for us is the same as that of the Corinthians. The problem is there's these gray areas, and the temptation can, can be to go, well, because I'm free in Christ, I, I can do this thing. I, I can be around these people. I can be around in this, this circumstance and this situation. But what we find is that Paul kind of lays out this principle. Okay, So Christian freedom looks like something. It's not just saying I'm free in Jesus to do this or do that or to do what I want. The, the, the principle of Christian freedom is to live and love like Jesus. We are free to live and love like Jesus. We're not free to do whatever we want. We are free so that we can live and love like Jesus. So Christian freedom in those gray areas is to lovingly prioritize the building up of other people and to prioritize a witness of Christ to the glory of God. To build up other people as a witness for Christ to the glory of God. And this is what we come to in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. So there's this challenge that we come to with this. Because the idea of limiting our freedom in order to love other people, build other people up, be a witness for other people, goes against our culture. So if we're having a hard time with the idea of we limit our freedoms in order to love and serve and help other people, it's likely because we are being more discipled by individualism and capitalism than we are by Jesus, which is a really hard thing to hear and a really hard thing to say because I recognize that within myself. That the idea of limiting some freedom that I have in order to love other people well, to build them up in their faith, to see them know God more, or to be a witness for Jesus, there's something in me that goes, oh, but isn't that oppressive? Isn't that oppressive? Isn't, isn't, that, isn't that weird? Isn't that something that is outdated? Like, there's something in me, because I'm raised in this culture that goes, no, actually, 
oh, that makes me feel a bit squirmy. It makes me feel a bit uncomfortable. But actually, the reality is, is that, that is the way of Jesus. And so if you look at, so Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he kind of lays his own life out as an example for this, okay? And he gives, again, this kind of, this example that we would find kind of odd, but was really compelling to them. And so he says, look, the Bible is abundantly clear that for those who are sharing the gospel, for those who are giving their whole lives to sharing the gospel, giving their whole lives to ministry, they have got a right by the people who they are ministering to to be provided for. So Paul's basically saying, I had a right to ask you to pay me so that I could minister to you. Like There's a biblical precedent that he speaks of in this entire chapter that says about that. But then he says, but I didn't take that money. I didn't ask you for that money. I didn't ask you to give because I wanted to build you up. There was all these people that were coming in and claiming to be apostles and claiming to be teachers. And I didn't want you to see me as one of them. I wanted you to see that I was about representing Jesus and showing him to you. And so I didn't take the money. I worked on the side. I, I had a job on the side that I did alongside ministering to you and setting up the church and witnessing and, and speaking to people in the synagogues and speaking to people in the streets and in the temple and kind of doing all of that. And he says, but I didn't take the money. I didn't take this right that was mine in Jesus in order to love you and to be a witness for Christ. He uses his own life as an example for that. But we don't necessarily even have to go to Paul's life to kind of see the example for this. Because the example for this is Jesus. This is Jesus' life. So he reads in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 8. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but made himself nothing. Taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. If Jesus had gone with his freedom that he had as God, then that wouldn't have looked like necessarily going to the cross. And the reason for that is if we look in the Garden of Gethsemane, right, we're, we're a week out from Easter. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus' prayer is, Lord, if it is possible, take this cup away from me. Like his prayer is, God, this is going to hurt. This is going to cost everything. And if it's possible, I really don't want to do it. But then he says this line, doesn't he? He says, but not my will, but yours be done. And the reason he does that is for the sake of us. It's for our sake that he does that. That Jesus, who had known no sin, Jesus, the eternal, sinless son of God, the holy one, the creator and sustainer of all things, chose instead to give himself for us, for our sake. He was free to not. He wasn't under compulsion. No one was making him do that. He freely did that for our sake. That he, though he was in the form of God, he didn't grasp at that and say, I'm God, you're not, I'm not doing this. He humbled himself, became a servant, died on the cross for us and for our sake. And so the principle for us as, as his people is the same. That Christian freedom, the Christian life is a cross-shaped life. 
It is a life that is lived in sacrifice for the good of other people and the building up of other people and for the, for the witness for Jesus to the glory of God. That's what the Christian life is. And so when we find ourselves in gray areas, areas where it's like, actually, I don't really know what the Bible says about this, or, or there's not like a specific instance in the Bible that talks about my situation, that's why the, the answer is always, what is the most loving thing to do for people in this situation? What is the most loving thing for Jesus and for the church? What is the thing that will bring the most witness, the most glory to God in this situation? And that as we ask ourselves those questions, the answer will become apparent, and it's normally the answer we don't want to hear. Can we just be honest with that? Like, it really is normally the answer we don't want to hear. It normally is, no, this isn't just workplace banter. They are attacking someone and putting them down. No, you shouldn't be involved in that situation. Like, we don't want to hear that, right? Because let's be honest, when you don't start participating, you start getting ostracized. Like, let's just be honest about this. There is a sacrifice that comes to this, but we are living as a sacrificial people, mirroring and imaging the one who sacrificed everything for us. Yeah? So there is this, this place that we find ourselves, when we find ourselves in the great areas, where the question is always, what does it look like to love the church? What does it look like to be a witness for Jesus? How can God be glorified in this situation? And I think to start off with, like, we actually have to, I think we actually have to, physically almost ask ourselves the question because this is if this is not a common practice in our lives in our minds then I think we actually have to get into kind of a rhythm and a routine of just going okay what does it look like to live for Jesus in this situation like when I was a young person we used to walk around with these bands that said WWJD what would Jesus do okay I had so many of the different types of those on my arms I used to have them from there to there um, when I was a young person um, there was just so many out. There was lots of different types. Um, and so I had them all um, on my wrist, um, which didn't help <laughs> in any way, shape, or form. Um, but this idea that, like, actually, we need to be starting asking, asking ourselves the question, what is the most loving thing to do? What is the way that's going to build the church up, build up the people around me? Because, actually, if we're in situations where there's other Christians... In that situation, maybe new believers or, or believers who come from a slightly different background from us, then actually we need to be considering what does loving them look like in this situation? And I think, I think that, that in and of itself is, is, can be quite a difficult thing. We've got, to, we've got to process that and work that out and work that out with people. You know, Paul talks about how he becomes all things to all people. So he says, to the Jews, I became like a Jew. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, even though I'm not under the law. To those who are Gentiles, I became like the Gentiles. Yeah? Like Paul is saying, I became all things to all people so that some might be saved. That in the situations we find ourselves in, we need to carefully consider what it looks like to love people and to be a witness so that some might be saved through our witness. Okay? So in the reality of where we find ourselves, because we are definitely not, in fact, if anyone is, and I'm, gonna, like, I, I'm, I'm almost 100% certain, but if anyone is having an issue with meat offered to idols, please do come and talk to me about it, because I'll be genuinely interested and want to work that through with you. But because for the vast majority of us, that's not an issue, there are scenarios in our life where there's not this definite answer, but we need to apply this principle. So I'm going to give some examples, okay? So one of these examples is our use of technology, Okay? So all of us have got a phone in our pockets. All of us, most of, like, I, I would imagine most of us have got laptops. All, almost all of us will have access to the internet. And so the Bible 
being written 2,000 years ago does not talk about Wi-Fi, iPhones, or Steve Jobs. Okay, it's, it's not in there. But there are principles that we need to apply to technology. So our use of social media, how we present ourselves, how we talk to other believers on those platforms, how we communicate what our life is like and what's going on in our lives is important. And there is a principle in how we conduct ourselves online that, that we need to just be aware of, okay? Because it is possible to believe the right things in the wrong way with the wrong attitude, okay? You can believe all of the right things and be a horrible human being. But you just can. It's absolutely possible to believe the right things and be a terrible human being. Okay? And we just need to be aware of this because actually when Jesus was walking the earth, he had sinners coming to him. He didn't pull punches. Jesus would con convict them of their sin. Like the, the, the instance of the woman in the well in John 4, she, you know, he kind of spoke to her, said, you know, bring your husband. She says, I don't have one. He's like, you're right, you've had seven. And the person you're living with now isn't even your husband. Right? And then they have this conversation, and he reveals himself to her. And what's, what's, her, what's her witness when she goes and talks to people? Come and see a man who told me everything I've ever done. Could this be the Messiah? She was excited, right? She was excited that salvation might be there. And actually, what, what we can almost reduce living, like living for Jesus to is believing the right things. If we believe the right things, we're living for Jesus, but it's not just believing the right things. It's believing the right things and loving people and moving towards them in a heart and an attitude of compassion for them. Right? Because we all know Christians who are jerks. Like, don't we? Like, you're laughing because you're thinking of the person. <laughs> and, it, and, it's, and it's true. You can believe the right thing in a way that does not witness for Jesus, that does not move towards them in compassion, that is not in love. And so we need to believe the right things in the right way with the right attitude. Yeah? To be like Jesus. Because as we do this, can you imagine? As we do this, can you, people were drawn to Jesus. He is an attractive person. And the more that we live and love like Jesus, the more people will be drawn to the presence of God in us as his temple. Okay, a couple more examples. One is politics. Now, I'm very grateful that we are not in a situation like in America, where it's like, it's so divisive, but it is still pretty divisive, right? And we have got a general election coming up at some point. And so there are people in this church who I know are paid up members of the Tory party. There's people in this church who I know are paid up members of the Labour party. Okay, and that's fine. Like, you are free in Christ to believe things and think things and, and have an opinion politically. Absolutely free in Christ. The moment that means that you put down your brother or sister, you become harsh and aggressive towards people who believe other things politically about you. You have stopped living for Christ and you've started going the way of the world. That's not freedom. That's not Christian freedom. You are free in Christ to believe and think about and have different opinions about things. Free to do that. Please do that. Have your own opinion. But when that starts bringing division into the church, when you start to put down other believers, when you start being someone who's not living and being a witness for Christ in those places, that's not your freedom. You're not free to do that. That's not what Christian freedom is. That we are free in Christ to live for him. Yeah? Okay, lastly, just an example. There's going to be lots of other situations. But lastly, alcohol consumption. 
So the Bible does not prohibit us drinking alcohol. We can drink, okay? But there are situations that we find ourselves in that will either lead to sin, and it's an occasion to sin, or we are not loving people well, okay? Now, the Bible does expressly prohibit drunkenness. It says no to that. It says that we shouldn't be drunk. But it does say that we can have a drink. And so for me, I, I, in the church I used to be in, in East Sussex, a friend of mine um, who I kind of met and started getting to know, he was a guy called, um, actually I won't use his name, um, but, but he, was, he was a friend of mine and he, he'd had a very difficult background. He had been, he got addicted to drugs, was in and out of juvenile detention and then eventually ended up in prison. He came out of that and then kind of came home, which is kind of to the town that I used to, I used to live in and we used to, um, we used to work in. And he started, we started getting to know him, and he, and he, and he, want, he loved Jesus, and he wanted to get to know God more. So he did a gap year with our church, and we put all of these really strict boundaries in place for him, right? And we were like, he did really, really well. He was great. And it was, a, it was this fantastic time. And then after he finished with us, like kind of he started training to do something else. He was, he was training to become a carpenter, and he was good at it. And, but it kind of, because those boundaries weren't in place anymore, actually stuff started getting really hard for him. And he started using again. And the gateway to all of that was alcohol. So that was just the gateway. It's not for everyone, right? But for this specific person, it was for him. And kind of, so he'd still be coming, and he'd be in and out of our house, and he'd be kind of meeting up um, you know, kind of with, with us when we kind of got together. And, and like, so like ultimately, like we were still having a drink around him. And the, when I reflect back about, upon that, I'm like, actually, that was not loving him well. It was just not. And actually, how much more it would have been loving for for him if we would have gone, actually, mate, this is a struggle for you. None of us are going to do this anymore. We don't need it. We're free to do it, but I don't want to because I want to love you better. And we we operated in freedom rather than love. And actually, he really struggled as a result of that. And I think, you know, that's something that we have to own and and kind of me and my friends have to ask his forgiveness for um, in that situation. Now, you're not going to be in that situation, right? Like, that's not all of your situation. But there are situations we find ourselves in and I think alcohol is one of those. It can lead to sin, and we need to be aware of that, and it can lead to being a poor witness for Jesus, and it might not be building other people up. So, so what Paul would say is, whatever you do, do it for the building up and salvation of others to the glory of God. And just a final encouragement on this is that this stuff is supposed to be worked out in community. Like, if we're going to be one people... If we're not going to be divided, then we need to do this stuff together. We need to be going to one another and going, I've got no idea what to do in this situation. Or I find myself in this situation and I want to go this way, but I kind of think that the loving thing to do is go this way. Can you help me figure this out? Can you pray with me? Because I don't have the strength in myself to do this. Like we need to do this in community because Satan would want us to get isolated because when we get isolated, we start getting all panicky and I think kind of we, 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 like to, we can then listen to voices that we know we shouldn't be listening to. And so if we, but we need to do this in community as one people to be able to go to one another and support one another and build one another up into living this life so that we can live and love like Jesus. Okay, I'm just going to pray for us as we close. Lord, thank you that we, we are one body. Thank you, Jesus. You are the head. We are the body. Lord, I thank you that you have brought us together, united us in you and to one another. Lord, thank you that you give us the freedom to live, Lord, like you. 
Lord, before you came, we weren't free to live like you. And now we are, Lord. The joy of that, the wonder of that, Lord. We don't want to take that for granted. Lord, in all situations, help us. Lord, we want to love one another well. Lord, we want to witness for you. Lord, we want your name, Jesus, to be glorified in our lives. And so, Lord, we pray that as we go out this week and and every week, Lord, from this moment, Lord, we are are asking that you would give us the wisdom. We're asking that you give us the courage and the boldness by your spirit to live for you. Lord, thank you that we are free to live and love like you. And so we ask that you would do that work amongst us in your name. Amen.